Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Hey, we want you to open up in your Bibles with us this morning to Genesis chapter 24. Um, we are this morning in uh, the longest chapter in the first book of the Bible, 67 verses. So I have a plan. I'm going to be modest this morning. I'm going to spend uh, only two minutes on each verse. And I just think, you know, it's going to be great. You'll be home for dinner. There's just no worries. This is not only the longest chapter in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. uh, It's the fourth longest chapter in the whole Bible. And yet every word that's there, every word that's there, God has a purpose for and intended uh, for us and for building us up. If you're newer with us today, we have been studying over the last 15, 16 weeks uh, how God works in people's lives and in particular the lives of two people, Abraham and Sarah and their family. Abraham and Sarah are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're like your great, 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 great grandparents. They lived about 4,000 years ago, and uh, pretty. I didn't know them personally, by the way. I just want to let you know that. Um, uh, they're, they're, they are broken people like us, and yet they're people being rescued by Jesus like us. And we just had a great time in our study. Last Sunday, if you were with us, I am so sorry. It was Mother's Day, and Sarah died. It just it was my bad. and uh, But it kind of turned out good, right? It turned out pretty good. And her husband bought the first real estate that he ever owned in the promised land. God had promised Abraham and his descendants this whole land. And yet after being there for uh, 70 years or so, uh, about 70 years-ish, Abraham didn't own a piece of ground. And that significantly and purposefully, God had him buy property in one unique city, Hebron, and in a certain cave, by a cave in which his wife would be buried, and then he would be buried, his kids would be buried, his grandkids would be buried. And that cave today is, is perhaps the, the, perhaps the single hottest flashpoint on the globe today in Hebron. And uh, there's no mistake what we studied last week of what God was doing in, um, in helping Abraham to buy this cave of Machpelah there uh, in the city of Hebron. So we're going to get started. We're going to dig in Genesis chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you there. There's probably one on your telephone. Your neighbor will help you if you need it. Page 21 in that Bible that's there. So we're going to do a lot of reading this morning and then uh, do some talking as well. So, so... Two minutes of verse. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Genesis 24, 1. Abraham was now very old. He's probably, he was north of 137. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Derek, next week. Uh, he lives to 175 years old. So he's somewhere north of, of, uh, of 137 years when we come to chapter 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord... Now, I want you to see that word LORD there, L-O-R-D, all caps. That's God's personal name. In Hebrew, it's Yahweh. We used to think it was Jehovah. Then we discovered 100 years or so ago, there's no J in Hebrew. It's a Yah sound. 
It's Yahweh. This is his, if God showed up today and he had his name tag on, this is what his name tag would say, Yahweh. And in our English Bibles, it's translated all caps, L-O-R-D. So this personal God had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to the senior servant in his household, the chief dude, the one in charge of all that he had, he said, put your hand under my thigh. Sounds weird. I'm just, just going to start off with this. And it is a little weird for us. It's a euphemism, okay? Uh, it stands for the genitals. And, and so the slipping of the hand under it. Nothing weird, though, okay? And, and because the genitals are the place of procreation of new life. And so sometimes when men would take oaths with one another, they'd just slip the hand. And no funny business whatsoever. They'd slip their hand down there. And it was this sign of commitment, of, of a vow that can't be, is, is a life commitment, okay? Um, we're going to talk a little more about that in a couple of minutes. So, the, so the Abraham said to his chief dude, he said, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Those are the people living in the land. He didn't want to intermix with them. But instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to my country that I came from and to go back to my relatives, and I want you to get a wife for my son Isaac. So we're meeting three people here. Abraham, Sarah's now dead. We're meeting Abraham, we're meeting his chief servant, and we're meeting Abraham and Isaac's son, um, excuse me, Abraham and <laughs> Sarah's son Isaac. So we're meeting three characters here so far. So when I began studying this passage a couple of weeks ago, I thought, hey, great. Read the first four verses. I thought this is going to be a message that's going to be really practical for the people that aren't married at Paseo del Rey, how to uh, find a good wife. And, you know, if you're a parent of someone that's not married, you know, how to find a good wife or a husband for your kids. Or I thought maybe because uh, maybe we could maybe broaden it for everyone. We could call it nine steps to a happy marriage. So part of it would be about about finding that maid and then Part of it would be about um, uh, part of it would be about having having a happy marriage along the way, and but I thought I needed to modernize it right because this is the modern day and and people date online now. E-harmony is really big, right? Way to meet someone if you want to get married. So I thought of the title E-harmony: The Canaanites and Camels. And I'm not sure how that's going to go over, and but because it, it's the Bible story of how Abraham finds a wife for his son, right? That's the way the passage is starting out. And so I started thinking, okay, I can tell the story about how April and I met. And I could tell the story, and then April would come up and tell the other story. And you would go like, do you guys live on different planets or what? We have this, she was in a different state when she met me. We just have these radically different stories of how we met. It's fun to hear how people met, isn't it? In your growth groups, you're going to do a little bit of that this week. I was thinking about uh, these uh, good friends of ours of Paseo del Rey, Ray and Lena Gaitland. Uh, Ray and Lena moved to the Seattle area a few years back. Some of you remember Ray. Ray was going to Paseo del Rey. He was a single guy. And so he went on eHarmony. And, um, you know, he, he met this woman named Lena on eHarmony. And, and that's the way a lot of people date now. 
uh, or meet and meet people because there's some safety. You're like, you don't know the person's phone number until they want to give it to you, but you can still uh, email with each other and you can even talk uh, o- online in a secure way. And so they started to do, they started to talk, uh, email each other back and they liked that. So they said, you want to trade phone numbers? Say, yeah, let's trade phone numbers, but just texting. And so Ray and Lena were texting back and forth and they liked where that relationship was going. And they texted back and forth for a while. And then they said, uh, <laughs> would it be okay if uh, I called you? Yeah, that'd be okay. So they called each other. Man, it was just really going cool. They really liked the way the relationship was going. And so finally one day Ray said, uh, 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 do you think it'd be okay like if we met face to face? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. She lived up in the North County. So she said to him, well, I want to meet you somewhere in broad daylight, number one. And number two, I want to meet you in a very public place, right? So what's a very public place, broad daylight? Starbucks, of course. So she lived in North, uh, North County, gave him the address of the Starbucks. So, man, you know, Ray got ready hours early, put on the old aftershave brute and, uh, you know, whatnot, and drove up there uh, to the North County, and he's waiting in the Starbucks. And he's waiting and he's spraying stuff in his mouth and he, he's waiting and spraying more stuff in his mouth. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and Lena never shows up. And he is just like, yeah. he's just like, oh my gosh, what a bummer. And then his phone rings. He pulls his phone out. It's Lena. Yeah. And she's on the other end like screaming like, ah! And she, he can hardly hear her because there's a whole bunch of noise in the background. He's wondering, is she, is she in state prison? Where is she? You know, all this noise. And, and, and she says, I, I got a flat tire on the 78. You got to come. You got to come and save me now. Well, what guy? I mean, she's like an expert auto mechanic. But what guy doesn't want to hear that? Come save me. And so he says, I'll be right there. Where are you? And he told her where she was. So he got in his car and he's not familiar with the area. And so he's on the wrong side of the freeway. And as he's driving along, he's looking and looking and looking. And, he, and he's thinking to himself, but well, what if, what if she's like the freeway axe murderer or something? She could just throw me down the ditch, kill me. and throw. Or what if she's like, um, uh, what if she's sitting on this wild goose chase? And she's actually driven to my home and is broken into my home and stealing everything out of my house. He almost said he's turned around and go back and go back home. Or what if, what if she's just standing me up and she just doesn't want to tell me? She's driving me on this wild goose chase. So as he's driving along, he looks on the other side of the freeway and there's the car and there's Lena sitting in it. Never seen her before in his life. So he goes off the off ramp, comes back, drives back, pulls up behind the car and she gets out and he gets out and they are on 78 with trucks and motorcycles and buses and cars and people honking and whizzing by and fumes everywhere. And for the first time in his life, Ray gives a hug to his future wife, Lena, at the side of the 78. They built a memorial right there for this marriage. And it's been a wonderful marriage ever since. So I was thinking, gosh, this would be cool because that's what this passage is about, is about how to find a good wife. And so I can tell the Ray and Lena story. It's a fun story, right? So I'm thinking, okay, so I look at verse, I look at verse 2 in chapter 24, and I'm thinking, okay, what's the best principle that I can draw to, you know, so what's, what's the first principle I'm going to draw from the passage? So I'm just going to give it to you. Here's, if you're looking for a good spouse, if you're looking for your kids to have a good spouse, here's the very first principle. Put your hand under someone's thigh. You know, I mean, this is, 
hey, here at Paseo, we want to preach the Bible. We want to preach it really practically, okay? Real practically down to earth. Okay. So why did I spend all that time? I have no idea at all. One of the principles of Bible interpretation is when something is descriptive, like this story is, that doesn't make it prescriptive. So when you read a narrative, the narrative is descriptive of one cool, great way God worked, but it's not prescriptive that God always works that way. And we get ourselves in trouble sometimes by taking what's, what's actually descriptive and making it prescriptive. Now, are there some great principles here? Awesome principles. That one's probably not one of them, okay? Like, like if you're going to want to marry a girl, don't go to her father-in-law and put your hand under his thigh. It's just, you know, it's a bad picture. It's just really a bad scene. So what is this passage about? Well, it's about a lot of things. It's, it's about God's amazing invisible hand, isn't it? It's just awesome. I want, what I want us to look at as we go through this passage, if you have your, your message outline, you might want to pull it out. I want us to look in, at, at four characters in this, this story. And what I want you to look for in these four characters is Christ-likeness. I want you to look for pictures of Christ's character living out in these four characters. This is Old Testament, right? This is in the first book. But already we see the character of Christ being formed in people. And I want you to, as we go through, and the four characters are these. It's Abraham. It's his servant. This is, here's another spoiler alert. They're going to find a wife. Her name is Rebecca. That's the third one. And the fourth one is Isaac. And I just want you to see the character of Jesus Christ being formed in them. Why do I want you to see that? Because you can go, wow, that's awesome. No, because Christ is building his character in you and me. And so we can really learn from this and learn how this character of Jesus was being built in them. Okay, so verses 1 to 4, Abraham gives this order to his servant, his chief servant. He says, listen, don't, pick a, don't get a wife from here, in, here, here where we're living now in the promised land. I want you to go back to my family, back to my land, and get a wife for him. Verse, uh, verse 5. The servant said, well, well, what if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son there? And and Abraham, he flips out, verse 6. No, no, make sure you don't take my son back there. This is the land of promise, he's saying. God's promised to give us this land, and I'm fearful if you take my son back there. He may stay back in our homeland. He might find life a whole lot easier. This is the promised land that God has us. Verse 8. If uh, the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not, twice he says it, do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master. Praise God. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Put your hand under the thigh of, he put the hand of of his, uh, whatever he did, he (laughs) he put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham, and he swore an oath to him concerning the matter. Verse 10. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He also took some men with him. We'll discover later in the passage. And he set out for Aram Naharim uh, and made his way to the town of Nahor. So he went back to Abraham's old neighborhood. And he had the camels kneel down near the well 
outside the town. It was toward evening the time the women would go to draw water. Now, this journey from where Abraham was living back to his old land was about 520 miles, we guess, we're guessing. And with camels, that would take about, um, about, about 21-day journey. So not, a, not an easy thing. They didn't hop on a southwest and just fly over there with the camels and whatnot. The camels fly free, I know. But they decided to take the, take the, the, the longer route to get there. And so they get there. Now, I want you to see, this is so cool. Now, remember, we're looking for the character of Christ in these four characters. One, two, three, four. In these four characters in the story. So I want you to be looking for the character, the likeness of Christ in these uh, persons in this story. Look at the very first thing that the servant does. Verse 12. I have it underlined in my Bible. Then he, the servant, prayed. Now, look who he prays to. Yahweh. He is on first name basis with God, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, would you please make me successful today? And would you show kindness to my master Abraham? He prays for himself. He prays for others. God, look. Now, he knew God already could see him, right? I think this is kind of cool in prayer. Look, God, see? I'm standing here beside the spring. See me, God? God saw him. I'm standing here beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. So could it work out, Lord, that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar so that I could have a drink, and she'll say to me, drink, and oh, water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, I just I want you to see in this prayer of the servant, this friendship that he has with the person he's praying to. There's no stiffness. He uses ordinary language. There's a relationship. It's how we talk with people that we like, that we know, and that we and that we that we like. Um, uh, uh, it, it, there's a conversationalness or a there's a naturalness to this. And I want you to also notice how bold the prayer is. Lord, make me successful today. He's really specific. Now, the Lord can do whatever he wants. But here's what the servant's asking. Because there's a friendship with him. There's a friendship with Yahweh here. And, and it's a difficult prayer that he's asking too, isn't he? Look at verse 14. Please, uh, may it be that when I say to the young woman, Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. She'll say to me, drink, and I'll give you my camels too. So, so um, I'm in a restaurant, and I see Eric sitting over there. And I don't know Eric. And I need to make a phone call, but I left my cell phone at home. So I go, Eric's a friendly-looking dude, really friendly-looking dude. So I say, hey, Eric. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Eric, could I borrow your cell phone for a minute? Thank you. That is a really nice one. No, mine folds up into two pieces, but I kind of like this one. So, so, so I make a phone call on Eric's phone, and then I say to him, hey, by the way, too, could I have the car, your car keys? <laughs> the story is yes, yes. Okay, there you go. That's what he's kind of asking, right? He's saying, Lord, I'm praying that when I go to Eric, he'll give me a cell phone, loan me, loan me a cell phone, and then also give me the keys to his car. 
This is an incredibly bold prayer. It sounds like this servant knows who he's talking to. That's what it sounds like to me. Now, I've got a question for you. Where in the world did this servant get this relationship with Yahweh? I want you to be thinking about that through the rest of the message. Because it's a key. It's one of the answers to the character of Christ, the likeness of Christ in this story. How is it this servant, never been to Paseo del Rey, never been to synagogue, never been to BSF, never been in a home Bible study, never been in a growth group, never been in a community group. How is it that he developed this really intimate relationship with God, his father? I want you to be thinking about that. Think, where in the world did that come from? Keep that question in the front of your mind. Now, okay, verse 15. I love this line. You see God's invisible hand? Before he had finished praying. I've got that underlined in my Bible. See, this is all God's story, isn't it? Before he had finished praying. There's no way that any human could have connived this or worked this or planned this. This is all God's work. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethulah, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. What in the world does that mean? That means that she was Abraham's brother's granddaughter. Been a simpler way to say it, right? She was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. That's who she was. Uh, you start. You did a, a, um, a family tree early on in our series, the second or third week of our series. Well, you got a new name to add to it here is Rebecca, and the woman, verse sixteen, was very beautiful. She was a virgin; no man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, she filled her jar, and she came up again. Man. Now, you've got to remember, the servant doesn't know any of these details yet. You know things that the servant doesn't at this point in the story. God's telling us these things to give us insight. And I just love seeing, before he finished praying, God's hand was already moving, right? Last week, I challenged each of you that were here to tell your God story to someone else during the week. And I hope some of you have, hope all of you have, to tell how You came to faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you've done that. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to do it this week. In our growth group last Tuesday night, um, uh, we had about five or six of the folks in our growth group. We said, let's share share our God stories here in our growth group. It was like one of the best growth groups we've ever had because these people started sharing their stories of God's invisible hand, of how God drew them, how God pursued them, and how God drew them to himself. It was just these amazing stories about how someone had moved away and two years later they came back and they got connected with someone they'd known two years earlier and God brought them to salvation through that relationship or someone that moved in next door to them and helped them to come to know Jesus Christ. Or, or one, of the, one of the gals in our, group, in our growth group, it was through 9-11, through the horrible events of 9-11 that created an anxiety and a fear and a worry inside of her. And she came to know Jesus Christ as the one that she could trust through that. And it was just so cool to hear these amazing stories of God's work, of things that only God could do and bring people to faith. I just encourage you to do that. Do that in your growth group or do that with someone else, but to share that God story. And that's what we have here is this really amazing God story. And so the servant looks at this woman 
And he says, and, 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 and his, his, his description of her in verse 16 is she was very beautiful. On the outside, this young woman, she was perhaps a teenager. She was perhaps 16, 17 years old, which was very typical in that day of mar- for marriage. And she was beautiful on the outside. And the servant is going to soon discover that she's beautiful, even more beautiful on the inside. Verse 17. Um, the servant hurried to meet her, and he said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Verse 18. Drink, my Lord, not Yahweh, small L, right? My master, my friend, my senior. Drink, my, my senior, she said. And quickly she lowered the jar to her hands and she gave him a drink. Okay, so far, so good, right? She shows up. This prayer starts. It's starting to happen. Verse 19. And after she had given him a drink, she said, and I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and she ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all of his camels. And without saying a word, the man, he was doing somersaults on the inside, right? But he was watching her closely to learn whether the Lord, whether or not the Lord had make his, made his journey successful. Hey, hey, servant. Yes, he has. Now, think about this for a minute. Ten camels. How much water does a thirsty camel drink? Lots. <laughs> there, there's a good, a good term. So I, so I called National Geographics. Just typed in the National Geographics. Asked that question. And National Geographics answered that in ten minutes, a thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons of water. So this... This lady, and, and, and of course, these were different camels back then. They drank 40 gallons in 10 minutes. They're not National Geographic camels. They're a different kind. And, and, and so this lady, 300 gallons of water she fetches. And this servant is like turning upside. He's doing backflips right inside of him. And he's thinking, hey, I'm single. I could use some help around the house. She's pretty good looking. And then he remembered the oath that he had made. Man, this Rebecca is something else. She, he, the servant gets the cell phone and the car keys, right? He gets the, the whole kit and caboodle. Verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, I think it was several days later, the, the man took out a gold nose ring. This is where I messed up with my wife when I asked her to marry me. Uh, and two gold bracelets weighing... Ten shekels. And then he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. And please, would you, do you think your father would allow us to stay in your home tonight? She said, she said who she was. And then she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to, for you, excuse me, for you to spend the night. And then look at this servant again, verse 26. Then the man bowed down and he worshiped Yahweh, saying, Praise be to Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness. He's not abandoned his faithfulness. You see, he knew that his God was a trustworthy God. He says, As for me, Yahweh has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. And he knew that the Lord 
had answered his prayer. So the young woman, she arose and she ran home to her household and she told her household about all these things that happened. And, and it, as it turns out, she has a, her father apparently is perhaps is an invalid. He plays a little role, but her brother Laban plays a major role in the story. So Laban comes out and meets the man and invites the man to come back to the house. Uh, uh, and so, the, so the servant goes to, the, to Rebekah's house, verse 32. So the man went to the house, and, he, and the camels were unloaded, and straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men who came with him to wash their feet. Then food was set before them, but he said, I will not eat until I've told you all that I have to say. He had to testify, didn't he? He had to tell the story of God's working. He must have been really hungry. Can't we just have some carrot sticks and dips here? Some, could you fry up some tortilla chips? He says, none of that until I've told you the amazing story of what God has done and is doing here in our lives. So verses 34 through, uh, 34 through 49 are the retelling. Um, it's, the, it's the servant retelling Rebecca's family the whole story from start to finish. It's almost verbatim. It, he's rehearsing and bragging on God. And I encourage you to, to read that over later, the, later this afternoon. But we're going to run down our fingers down to verse 50 now in the passage. Laban and Bethula answered. So Laban's her brother. Bethula is her father. This is from, the, from Yahweh. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. This is God's working. This is Yahweh's work. So here, here is Rebekah. Take her and go. So here's the second principle on um, how to find a good wife. Take her and go. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. It's descriptive, right? Here's how one way that God did it. And let her become the wife of your master's son as Yahweh himself has directed. And when Abraham's servant heard what the father and brother said, Look at him. What does he do? He bows down to the ground before Yahweh. Man, this guy has a this servant has a relationship with the God of heaven and earth, doesn't he? So, so um, uh, uh, there's 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 some there's some negotiation that goes on that night, and then the next morning they wake up, um, and we're going to run our finger now down to verse uh, sixty one. Verse sixty one. Then Rebekah, this is the next day, and her servants got ready and they mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and he left. Now Isaac, as they get back into the promised land, now Isaac had come from Berlehai Roy and he was living in the Negev. He went out into the field one evening to what? Meditate. Isaac, we're looking for the character of Christ in these people in this story. Isaac went out one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. And Rebekah also looked up and she saw Isaac. And she, she got down from her camel and she asked the servant, who 
I think she might have said it like this. Who is that man? But I think she probably said it more quietly. Who is that man in the field coming near to meet us? Here's a painting I found that I think is a, kind of a beautiful, just, a, just an image, just a reminder of perhaps what that scene might have looked like as Rebecca comes down off of her camel and she looks across Highway 78 for the very first time to see the man who God had to be her husband. She sees Isaac. Verse uh, 65, Who is that man coming to meet us? She said, He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and she covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. And so she became his wife, and he loved her. You know, you can be married and not love. The Scripture says, So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Well, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? Of how God... His visible hand brought about the relationship between Rebecca and Isaac, the promised ones. But I ask you to look for the character of Christ. I ask you to look for Christ's likeness in these four characters. So I'm going to share with you briefly about these four characters and characteristics of Christ that I see in each of them. And they're out of order on your message outline, and that's my bad. We're going to look first at the servant. And here's what I want to say about the servant is the servant is talking with his heavenly father like you talk with a good earthly father. You know, I, you know, I have a great dad, and we have a, I have a, we have a great relationship. We just got back about a month ago from a train trip. We took the train from San Diego up to Portland where our son Joel and his wife Melissa lives. You know? And it was like 32 hours just of being together and talking and just having that kind of a relationship that you want to have. And so just like we talk to our good earthly fathers... This guy seems to have the ability to be able to talk to his heavenly father. It's so natural, isn't it? He, he talks to him quietly. He talks to him out loud. He talks to him before there's a need. He talks to him uh, in the middle of the need we saw in the text. He talks to him. He bows down and worships the Lord after the need. You see, you see he doesn't see God as a slot machine that you put money in and then, and you pray and you pull the thing and then you get the money out of it. He sees God as a person. He's Yahweh that he has a relationship to. And it's just like, um, uh, you know, my relationship with April, you know, uh, uh, you know, I talked to her before we have dinner and I talked to her while we're having dinner. And if she's made the dinner, I thank her for the dinner afterwards. That's all part of a real relationship. And if she's worked hard to make a meal at the end of the meal, I don't say thank you. I'm not grateful. There's something wrong with it. That's a weird relationship, right? But this servant really has a natural, very real relationship with his heavenly Father. And that's so Christ-like. Think of Christ in the Gospels. Think of the very normal relationship he had with his Father. He's talking to his Father all the time. 
He talk, the text, the Scripture tells us a couple times that he, that he often got away to pray to his father. Often. He talks to his father indoors. He talks to his father outdoors. He talks to his father from on a mountaintop. He talks to his father uh, on the sea. He talks to his father on hillsides and in, 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 uh, in fields. He talks to his father about other people, just like you and I do. He talks to his father about our daily needs, about what we're going to have for lunch today or, or what we're going to pack for the kids for school tomorrow. He talks about what it is, what we, how we ought to live when people mess us over and they mess us over and how we ought to relate to them, how we should be able to forgive them. He talks to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane when life is really hard. And he talks to his father on the cross. And he, he has a natural relationship. And what's happening in the servant's life is Jesus is living inside of him. And so it's not the servant, is it? It's really Jesus' life being lived out through the servant. That's what's happening here through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so Jesus-like. Now, I've asked this question, where did this come from, the servant? Where did this come from? And I have only one answer to where this came from, humanly. It came from Abraham. And so the second character I want us to think about just for a minute is that Abraham is a disciple-maker. Now, we haven't seen that in the text a lot, but we certainly see the fruit of it in his chief servant. How else did did he tune into a Christian radio station or read some Christian blogs somewhere online? You go to the Gospel Coalition? Is that how he grew in his faith? Does he listen to Matt Chandler on podcasts? Abraham, I, I think... All sermons are reviewable in heaven, but I can't figure out another way that the gospel got to the servant except through Abraham. And Abraham was a disciple maker, just like Jesus was a disciple maker, right? That's what Jesus lived for. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus was just always pouring into the lives of the people around him. The twelve, the three, the crowds. He was helping them to grow in their relationship with his heavenly father. See, it's Jesus living inside of Abraham that helps Abraham to be a disciple maker, pouring his life into this into the servant. Um, uh, I was with one of my buddies this week on Thursday morning down at Donnie's Cafe. We were going to meet for breakfast for an hour, uh, meet, meet for coffee and tea down there. And it turned out to be, be about two hours and ten minutes. And why was that? Is because both of us wanted to share with each other, things that God was teaching us in our quiet times. It wasn't rocket science. Neither of us had a manual opened out in front of us. But we'd been in God's Word. And so we were sharing back and forth together, discipling each other. I think think sometimes discipleship is a really formal relationship. That's great. I love it. I have relationships like that. But a lot of times it's just me choosing like Jesus did, to be intentional and to grab the moments. Because we could have talked the whole day about the Padres. I, I'm, it's easy for me to do. And we did talk about the Padres. But we, and we prayed for the Padres, and that's why they're, they're on the winning streak they're on. But more than anything, more than anything, I and he, he and I wanted to be intentional about encouraging each other to grow in Christ. And I want to I urge you and push you to be more like Abraham 
be a disciple maker. Now, you're not going to be a disciple maker like someone else or someone else or someone else or someone else. That's okay. You don't have to be. But how are you helping the people that you already have friendships with, already have relationships with? How do you, it's sometimes uncomfortable, but to move the conversation in the power of the Holy Spirit to share with them something that God is doing in your life, something that you read in the Scripture, something you read in your daily bread, something you learned in growth groups, something you learned in Bible study fellowship, but to really be passing that on to help them to grow in their relationship with Christ. That's what Christ did. That's what Christ did. So the servant, um, who has this wonderful relationship with Yahweh, discipled by Abraham, and then Rebecca. What do I want to say about Rebecca? Is that she has generous heart and generous hands, doesn't she? Thirty camels, ten gallons each. Drink, my lord. I mean, this woman, she is not holding on to what she could hold on to, right? She's, there's not a bone of stinginess in this woman. She wants to pass it along. She wants to let go of what she has, and she does it in joy. And that's just exactly like Jesus, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is just the, the most generous person you know. He came down from heaven for you. He fed the 5,000 for you. He washed our feet. He died on the cross. And I was thinking, after the resurrection, a week later, what do we see Jesus doing We see him fixing breakfast for his followers there on the beach. He's fixing the breakfast. That's how generous he is. He just has this amazingly generous heart and generous hands. So when you see Rebecca's generousness, what you're seeing is Jesus' generous heart and hands. That's what's happening. Now I'm going to tell the story about my wife, and she's going to get, I need a place for lunch uh, afterwards here. But this is just a, a neat story because I married a Rebecca. I married a Rebecca. You know that, we, um, that you, you send us to Rwanda to work with our pastors over there. And uh, so uh, this last February, I was able to bring April and the other pastors able to bring his wife. And um, so they were there with us. So neat for them to meet the pastors, to pray for the pastors, to get to know them and their, some of their wives. And on Sunday, February 14th, we went to a town called Musanze that we go to each year, or each time, we, each time we're there, we go to Musanze. And the church service went about four and a half hours, which is really typical. I didn't preach the whole time. I know you were wondering that. Uh, there were about, I think, about four or five preachers and awesome worship and kids and adults. And this is where the disabled ministry is. And so fun seeing some of the disabled young people dancing and worshiping the Lord along with those of us that have other kinds of disabilities. And, and, uh, but uh, you know what? Four and a half hours, you, it's tiring and you're getting hungry and it's awesome and it's sweaty and it's hot and people are grabbing you and you're grabbing them and it is just awesome. And I'm just thinking the whole, t- you know, I'm not thinking the whole thing. It's, it was so awesome, but I'm thinking, It'll be good to get out of here and get a shower, you know, just that'll be kind of a heavenly thing. And so that was over. And then they said, now, uh, April and Christy, the other pastor's wife, they're going to work with the disabled uh, ministry. There's about 35 people there, disabled people. And so they bought it, brought a craft. And we thought that cra- it would take, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. And so like about three hours later. So we have been with these wonderful, amazing people in this hot, sweaty box 
dirty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have been just with these people for about seven hours now, I think, all together. Haven't had anything to eat. And man, I just kept, would keep looking at April and Zach, my buddy, would look at his wife, Christy, and they were just like in their element. They were just, this is the best thing. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and they're, they're just going. So then they, then they serve us dinner, a, a kind of a meal in this little concrete room. And then so finally it's like 4.30 in the afternoon and we're leaving. And I'm thinking, oh, good, we're going to stay in a hotel here in Misanze. That'll be nice. It's Valentine's Day. You know, just kind of looking forward to kind of relaxing and kind of kicking back. So we went and we check or we go in and we check in and we go to, go to the meal. Uh, they had a little a place where they serve food. And they served us this chicken that had been on a diet for years. And they had over... I'm not... I'm not I'm, I exaggerate sometimes. I am not exaggerating, right? On this one. Thank you. You heard her. And, and it was overcooked by, I don't know, maybe a week, a week and a half. I mean, there was like no, nothing edible on this chicken. I was so looking forward to chicken. I really was. And um, so we ate the french fries they had, and they were pretty good. And then we went to our rooms, and we, we, went, we went to our rooms, and the, when the door opened in this room, it was like, oh, my gosh, can I do this to my wife? This was the most awful thing you've ever seen in your life. But there was nowhere else to go in Musanze. There was nowhere else to stay. So we go in, and she's brave, and we go in there, and it's like, I don't want to touch anything in this room. The bathroom, I said, hey, honey, when you go in the bathroom, close your eyes. Go three steps, turn right, I'll turn the water on for you. It was, it was moldy and dank, and the bedspread was like toilet paper thin, and it was dirty, and the pillows looked like something that you'd given to the dog a year ago, and you should throw out. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And I'm thinking, I am bringing my wife here on Valentine's Day. <laughs> this could be the end of a wonderful marriage. And it was just one of those places that you just want to go. You want to just get into bed with your clothes on and pray that morning comes. That's all you wanted to do. And so... We got into bed. We got into bed. And my Rebecca said to me, this is the best Valentine's Day of my life. You see, because my wife and, and many of you have this generous heart and hands that it's more about other people than it is about you. What you could hold on to and keep. And... and that's Jesus, isn't it? That's what Jesus is. That's Jesus in a person. You don't have to go to Rwanda to be generous. When you go to Ladle Fellowship and when you go to Thursday meals and when you care for people in your street and in your growth group, and when you're open-handed where you could hang on and you give it away, that's this Jesus' open-heart-handedness like Rebecca had. Isaac, I just will say it, and we'll, we'll, then I want to wrap in with a couple of thoughts. Isaac was saturating himself with God, just like Jesus did. He just wanted to be alone. He, want, he needed time away from the screen. He needed time away from his wife or his husband. Uh, we need time away from our parents or our kids to saturate ourselves with God. That's what Isaac does. That's just like Jesus. He just always going out to be alone, to be 
with his heavenly Father. So all of these characteristics and more, you know, being a discipler and having a, this intimate relationship with God like the servant did and having hearts and hands that are generous and saturating ourselves in God. Um, all of these things are Christ's character in us. Now, and I've got some really good news for you. I've got some really good news for you. And it's this, that you can't do this on your own. We're going to put that slide up there. That uh, it, this, the good news is that I can't grow Jesus-likeness in me. So I don't want you to go away from this message and go, okay, okay, Lord, now I need to build more Christ character in me. I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to discipline myself more and more and more so that more of your character comes in. That will not work. I guarantee you. I've tried it, done it. It will not work. It'll last a day or two or three, but it won't, it won't work. But here's the good news is that, that you can't do it, but Jesus living in you can. Jesus living in you can. What is it the Apostle Paul says? That I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want Christ's character to be developed in you, if you want Christ's character to be growing in you, His likeness to be growing in you, you lean on Him. You say, Jesus, when you fail, you repent. You say, Jesus, look, I can't do this but you can live through me. And Jesus, that's what I want. And it's just this open-handedness to God and saying, God, this is what I want in my life because I keep trying and I keep failing. Jesus, I want you to live through my life. Is that what you want? Jesus, I want you to live through my life. I want you to stand with me and I want to pray with us and our, our Matt and Mary Lee are going to come. And Jesus, it's... Um, we make it so doggone complex, don't we? And it's just really simple. It's Jesus living in us. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be at the task of helping others to grow in relationship with you and know you and live for you. And we want to have this kind of relationship with you that the servant had in this story. And we want to, um, um, we want to have that generous heart generous hands like Rebecca had. And Jesus, we want to saturate ourselves in you. We want to spend more time with you. But it's only as we lean on to you and realize we can't do this on our own, but Jesus living in us can. And so Jesus, just in every crook and cranny of our lives, in every place, in every time, in places we don't want to give and give up, and places that are difficult for us to give up, places that we're not even aware of. Jesus, would you, would you reign? You live in us by your Holy Spirit. Would you reign everywhere in our lives that we might look more and more like Jesus? Jesus.